things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of No Mercy with Stephen A. Smith. Yours truly coming at you as I love to do several times a week. Remember, wherever you can find your free podcast, you can find No Mercy with Stephen A. Smith. Make sure you tune in. Make sure you subscribe uh, to this podcast. We're here in Los Angeles, California, but it doesn't matter where I'm at. I'm always thankful to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the No Mercy podcast. You know, I'm going to make this quick because I've got somebody that everybody needs to hear. If you're a parent, you need to hear this. If you're someone who loves children, you need to hear this. If you're someone like most of our society, who's incredibly protective of the most innocent amongst us, which are our children. You should listen to this interview that I'm about to do. From 2016 to 2018, we learned heinous, grotesque details of a former doctor from the University of Michigan State named Larry Nasser. Um, he hovered over the gymnastics team at Michigan State. And essentially, he ended up being accused and confronted by more than 150 women who said he sexually abused them from the time they were seven, eight, Nine years old. Ultimately, he was sentenced to 40 to seven to 175 years in prison back in 2018. So for all intended purposes, he will spend the rest of his natural life behind bars, hopefully. In the basement of jail cells with the sodomites for crying out loud, as far as I'm concerned, that's how disgusting of a human being I think this man is. Nevertheless, there are a bevy of victims uh, that he left in his wake. One of those people probably wouldn't describe herself as a victim because she was one of the people that helped bring his transgressions to light. She was one of the people that used to be a gymnast for him, a former competitive gymnast. She's recognized as the first victim of Larry Nasser, the disgraced doctor of the women's Olympic gymnastics team. Now as a high-powered attorney and through her experience working on some of the country's highest profile cases, she's become a leading voice on sexual abuse and other legal issues, speaking out on television, radio, and in print media. 
And before I introduce you to her, just remember this one nuggets of information. Murderers who are in jail. Rapist. And all sorts of heinous criminals. You know, the one thing most of them have in common where it's widely understood. If you are an abuser of children. Even what some would term the lowest of the low rise up against you because it's almost universally understood. Of course, there's exceptions to every rule with the sick, demented, some of these sick, demented people in our society. But for the most part, it's pretty close to universally understood. You don't mess with children. Larry Nassar did just that. And because of that, he'll be spending the rest of his natural life in prison. And one of the people who spearheaded the movement and the legal case against him that left him incarcerated for the rest of his life is Miss Sarah Klein. Again, the first victim of Larry Nassar. She's up next, right here on No Mercy, with yours truly. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? My guest today is a former Team USA gymnast and the first known abuse survivor of the team's Dr. Larry Nasser. She is now a high-profile attorney representing several other victims of sexual abuse. Please welcome a crusader in every sense of the word, the one and only Ms. Sarah Klein. And how are you? How's everything? Oh, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here with you. Uh, I'm so happy to have you. Let's start off by using that word crusader. How do you feel when you hear that word to describe yourself? In a way, I feel a little bit uncomfortable because um, I feel so humbled to have been given this platform. I recognize that you know, the Nassar case was huge. And in a sense, we got something that most survivors will never get, which is a platform, you know, the media reporting our story, getting it out there. We have our perpetrator behind bars. Um, and that almost never happens in these cases. So I feel very humbled by that. And I also feel humbled by the fact that I get to represent survivors who I meet in a place um, of, you know, in some instances, you know, living catastrophic lives, living out the chaos of what happened to them and getting to walk them through the legal system and literally see them change as human beings as we take on the entities and the people who harmed them. So all in all, I'm grateful Mm -hmm. for what I get to to do. And it's been a huge part of my personal healing process. Your personal healing process. I I imagine uh, the healing is never complete, but could you put into perspective for our viewers, our listeners, where are you at specifically in the healing process when you consider all that this despicable individual, yes, I'll say that about him, um, uh, subjected you to? 
Yeah, that's such a good question. I am very careful to present myself in a way that is authentic and real. So people look at me and they say, you know, she's strong and she, you know, is a lawyer and she's taking on all these people and she looks like she has it all together. In in many respects, not to give myself a pat on the back, but I do. I, I, I lead a full, you know, life. I love my career. I have two beautiful daughters. You know, life is good. But I also want to present the side where I have my bad days too. I still mm. go to therapy. I have a trauma therapist. You know, it's one of those things um, where, where those scars are marked on your body for life, but it's mm-hmm. sort of question of what do you do with them? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have that support system around you when you do have those bad days? Um, So it's always a work in progress. And I never want anybody to think, you know, because I'm not like her, you know, I'll never be okay. You know, what you see is not always, uh, not always reality. And I have my bad Mm -hmm. days too, for sure. Respectfully, I asked this question, could you please highlight for folks, what is a bad day like? For Sarah Klein and for people who've suffered the way that you've suffered, what what illustrate for us what a bad day entails? Yeah, it, it's interesting. So, for example, in January, one of the major networks did a huge profile piece on me that included video of me as a child that I had never seen before. And it's all set to music and it, you know, it's the story of a survivor who comes out the other side and it was beautiful. And I look forward to sharing that with my kids someday. On the other hand, it was, it was a moment of like, this was your life and I never get used to it. So when I saw it all put together, it was, it was devastating. It was so, it's such a sad story and, and sort of reliving it and re, you know, viewing the, these videos of me as a seven or eight or 10 year old child was really hard. So for a good week, I didn't feel like doing anything. I cried. I didn't want to get out of bed. You know, I, I had to grieve once again, the childhood that I had and, and work through that with the help of my support team. But um, yeah, a bad day is, 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 is having to sort of relive um, some of the trauma that occurred. And I suspect I'll live with that forever, but I don't let it take me down. I do get back up eventually. I do dust myself off and I get back, um, back at it. Mm. You know, just to, you know, educate uh, uh, our viewers and listeners, Larry Nasser, former uh, gymnastics coach, uh, I'm sorry, he's a disgraced doctor of the women's Olympic gymnastic team, uh, obviously was working at Michigan State. Uh, this is a man that was sentenced to 40 to 175 years in prison back in 2018. You were among more than 150 women who confronted Nasser at his trial, um, obviously, which greatly assisted in him being convicted. Most of Nasser's enablers still have never been brought to justice, including Coach John Goddard, uh, Geddert, rather, who took his own life in 2021 after being charged with 24 felonies. I just want to crystallize that for our viewers and listeners here. Let me get to you specifically with this regard. The abuse, according to you, began when you were eight years old. But you've said you didn't even recognize it until you were in your 30s. Explain that for folks who may not understand uh, how, how that came to be, how you reached that conclusion. Talk to us about that. Absolutely. That's the number one question I get. You know, I have a daughter who's seven and a half. 
Um, she is so innocent. She's still figuring out, you know, how to write in cursive and, and read, you know, read chapter books. I mean, she's so innocent. And that was mm. the age I was when I first met this adult who came into our gym. We were told, you know, you have to go back to this back room and you have to be treated by this athletic trainer. He was not even a doctor or in medical school yet mm-hmm. at Michigan. State University. And so we go back there and he's kind, he's loving, he's friendly, he's warm. And, you know, that in and of itself is, is part of the grooming technique. Kids mm-hmm. loved him. He would, he would, I, I equate him to like a Labrador puppy, like kind of nerdy, goofy, um, silly, sweet. Um, and you contrast that with what was going on in the gym, which was, the verbal, physical uh, abuse of our coach, John Getter, who you just spoke about, who on the day he was supposed to show up to his arraignment after 24 counts of child abuse was committed suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, He did not want to face the music. So I say often, like he beat our little tiny child psyches down into thinking we, I, I mean, I lived in fear and trepidation all the time. I would throw up before practice. And so then you're sent back to this nice guy who's throwing all these medical terms out there. My seven and a half year old wouldn't know. When I bring her to the doctor, the doctor takes a strep, you know, throat exam. And that's because I told her to, and the doctor told her to, you know what I mean? Children completely trust adults. Mm. I'm just wondering, because I'm sitting there, I'm like, I remember reading up that when it when the story first came to light, you had teammates who actually flew in to support Larry Nasser. They actually flew in to support him and refused to believe the accusations. I'm like, how is that possible? How's that possible that you could be highlighting all of this stuff and they wouldn't even acknowledge it? They wouldn't even believe you. Talk to me about that. I think athletics sometimes, especially certain teams or certain cultures, I equate them to like a cult-like atmosphere. Um, Mm. You don't speak out against the cult leaders, right? And so they hear this news about Larry. They're going, no, no, that was medical. He loves us. He knows, you know, he knows us. He loves us. We went to his wedding. You know, we love our coach, John Gettert. Um, They fly in, they console him, and they verbally assault on social media, those of us who come out against him um, Mm. and, and coming out against my coach was even worse. Like my friendships with my teammates um, dissolved after that. How dare Mm. you speak out against him? Um, And I wasn't making that up. He was charged by the Michigan attorney general with 24 counts of abuse, right? It was not until Nasser's hard drive was peeled out of his garbage can about to go out to, um, about to the trash dump. Um, a female cop got a warrant, pulled out that hard drive and found 37,000 images of child pornography, including that of Larry Nassar's own children that those teammates put their tails between their legs. Um, but it's interesting psychologically, why do people immediately defend their heroes? They don't know what their heroes are doing. They don't know what they're doing in their private time or on their computer. He was viewing child pornography and making child pornography with his own kids. Mm. But immediately the psyche goes to his defense because if they didn't, the paradigm of their childhood blows up. And, Mm. And we fight to try to keep what we think we know 
together um, mm-hmm. so that we don't have to face um, that we might have been wrong or something bad might have happened to us also. So that's a rationale to explain what their thinking was at that particular moment in time. But once the truth was clear, what did they do then, Sarah? Did they come to you? Did they apologize? Did they did they give you a bunch of mea culpas? Did they did they own and fess up to, to to their to their ignorance or their denial, whatever word is appropriate there? What did they do once that stuff was found out about Larry Nasser? You know, some of my old teammates came forward as victims themselves. They weren't the ones that were were harassing me. The ones that that called me a liar and you know tried to burn me down on social media have never spoken to me ever again. Even mm. after Coach John, you know, killed himself on the side of the road, nobody ever called me, apologized, whatever. And you know what? I'm fine with that. I mm. I know the truth. The world knows the truth. Mm. And and I'm good with that. I'd be fine. I'd be fine with it too. You don't need them. You don't need them at all, Sarah. You're better off without them. Um, I ask you this though. How did you feel when coach get it? Uh, you learned that he had committed suicide. What kind of emotion was going through your mind? I imagine on one hand, uh, you know, you're, you're furious because you're like, you wanted him to face justice. On the other hand, some people would say, good, good riddance. Uh, the good Lord would deal with you. There's a hell in, in reserved for you someplace, somewhere. Where did your emotional, where did your emotions lie? You know, I think right square in the middle. You know, I I wanted nothing more for him to be charged for years. Um, And when it finally happened, I went on lots of morning news shows and talked about how we felt vindicated and the truth is coming out. And by that evening, I was doing interviews on on the same shows talking about what it felt like. And it felt like a it felt like a a gut punch Um, Mm -hmm. in many ways. He was far, far worse than Larry Nasser, and I know that confuses certain people. But um, you know, at least with Nasser, I could somehow say pedophilia is a disease of the brain, um, and and I, you know, he's in prison the rest of his life. I could somehow, at least, he was nice to me, even though he was sexually abusing me. You know, right. John Geddert broke our little tiny psyches, broke our bodies, and he took pleasure in it. He was a masochist. Um, mm. He was the, the the most cruel, arrogant, destructive human being that I've ever encountered. And in many respects, I hold him accountable for having given Nasser a platform in a back room where he would walk in, see us laying naked on a treatment table, not ask one question, not say a word. He had Nasser saw my cast off two times. I had surgery and had him saw my cast off two times so I could go back to compete to win medals. And people will mm. say, you know, I'd go back to my surgeon and he'd go, what's going on? Um yes. You know, and I think a lot of people's brain goes to where were the parents, mm-hmm. uh, which is another really important conversation to have in yes. elite sports. Right. The goal is to separate the parents from the child. Right. Um, they don't want them in the gym. They don't want them knowing what's going on there. They don't mm-hmm. want them having any influence over the child. And so it's sort of, or at least it used to be sort of a wink, wink. You want your kid in the Olympics? You have to give me your kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to travel with your kid. I'm going to tell you what's best for your kid. And we're going to talk about what your kid can eat and not eat. And then the kid is going, well, yeah, I want to be in the Olympics. I haven't mm-hmm. given up my childhood for nothing, yeah. you know? So, so it's not as simple as 
the parents failed the kids. I definitely understand that. And especially being a parent Mm -hmm. now, you know, I'm like, I would never let my kid have done this. A, it was the 80s and 90s, at least in my experience. It was a different world. Um, And B, in elite sports, parents are, are trained and groomed in a way to give their child up to the system, mm-hmm. to Team USA, to take care of the child and get them to the Olympics. In, in, my, in my world, you know, although I'm covering a lot of sports, obviously primarily basketball is it. And you see a lot of parents who give you the impression at the very least they live vicariously through their kids. Um, And so because of that, the upside to that is their involvement. Like you're a coach and you might be coaching the kid, but it's not like the parents are not watching. It's not like the parents are so removed and so detached that they wouldn't notice something that's going on. I see gymnastics based on what you described as being significantly different. Like literally give us your children. Your children are with us night and day. We will raise them for you. Is that an accurate depiction of how gymnastics can be where it's not just about them coaching you. They're literally raising your kid to some degree because of the inordinate amount of time that a child has to spend away from their parents in order to train to be elite in the world of gymnastics. Is that an accurate depiction? A hundred percent accurate. And the amount of travel and the amount of, you know, different competitions and you're in the gym 30 to 40 hours a week. Your school schedule is altered because you're an Mm -hmm. Olympic hopeful, right? And so you're literally in the gym more than your home, but somebody has to afford that. In my case, both of my parents worked and I had a brother, you know, and so my parents couldn't sit there 30 or 40 hours a week. Um, you you do give your, they couldn't travel every, every weekend in, in abroad. You know, there were instances where kids were sent overseas. Um, you know, some of the Olympians that you've seen as part of this case, they were sent overseas with their coaches and their go-to, their instructions from USA Gymnastics, if you have an emergency Call Larry Nasser. He's your chaperone. Wow. Right? That, that was how it was set up. And, and we hear about the Caroli Ranch, Bella and Marta Caroli, some of the most famous um, coaches of all coaches. time. Coaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of Mary Lou Retton and Kim Zemeskel yes. and Nadia and Comaneci. Nadia yes. Comaneci, Dominique mm-hmm. Mochianu, um, all of those girls, you know, they had a physical location called the Caroli Ranch where parents had to send their children into the middle of nowhere, Texas, no phone calls, no contact, no parents allowed. It was a rule. No parents allowed on the ranch. If you Mm. did not go to the ranch, I mean, that was Team USA official training Mm. facility with a Mm. rule, no parents allowed. And Mm. if you don't go there, you don't advance. So when we look at it from that perspective and we fast forward to the year 2023, And we see so many different things going on, so many different qualifications, per se, lack of a better word, in terms of abuse. Sarah Klein, define for me in this day and age, if possible, your definition of abuse based on what you've experienced compared to how society has evolved, what we know about today. What would you define as abuse? 
That is such a huge question because there are so many types of abuse. You know, we hear about domestic violence, trafficking, um, you know, parental alienation, family court stuff. Um, in my world as a lawyer representing children in civil cases um, or who have been abused or adults who were abused as kids, it's either a non-consensual um, or B, abuse of power and harming children sexually under the guise of any kind of power dynamic. So mm. in the, you know, the doctor one is obvious under the guise of medical treatment, but let's take clergy abuse, for example, mm. um, abusing the power in terms of uh, a priest saying, I am the representative of God here on earth. And if you don't do what I say, you know, you will go to hell quite literally, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, coaches abusing their power. You will not go to the Olympics unless you do what I say and don't tell anybody. So my work revolves mostly around a, a massive abuse of power um, on the other end of what is, is usually a very um, technically choreographed uh, grooming process where mm. children's minds become confused, become, you know, families become groomed and, and it's people that they believe in their hearts they would trust. It's not the guy in a, in a dark alley wearing a cape, um, mm. you know, raping somebody. It's the friend, the family member. We see that a lot. Um, mm. The doctor, the coach, the teacher, the, you know, the clergy member, whatever mm. the religion may be. Um, when, when we get into adults, what's the definition of sexual abuse? It's about consent. Mm -hmm. um, and we've seen that play out a lot in the news. What's the definition of that? What is, you know, what are the boundaries and, and, um, you know, false reporting is a big topic. We saw, you know, a lot of that play out in the depth be heard, um, trial. And so, um, but for the work I do, it, abuse is an abuse of power, gaining access to a child sexually, um, mm -hmm. often, corresponding to a massive abuse of power. And in terms of the work that you do, please beg my, uh, you know, indulge me here, because again, I'm going to go back to your abuse began when you were eight years old. You've said you didn't recognize it until you were in your thirties. And according to a, a lot of reports, the average age of someone reporting their own past abuse is 52 years of age. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I'm like, how are you able to have clients for crying out loud? How, because again, if they're young and they don't know and they don't really discover it or realize it until they're older, what do you do? How, how is it that you're able to address these issues, particularly against children when they're younger, if they don't even know most of the time what it is until they're older? Yeah. So, you know, I was in my 30s and I give myself zero credit. Um, my friend Jamie Dancher, 2000 Olympic um, bronze medalist, filed the first lawsuit in Nassar, mm. which inspired the Indianapolis Star to publish yes. this piece that I saw. And I opened it. I go, oh, my God. In one second, I go, that's what that was. That's why I've been struggling my whole life and, and spent, you know, all this time not even able to funk. Like there was something wrong my entire life. 
life until my mid-30s, and I could never put my finger on what it was. Um, so I credit someone else for coming out and saying, oh, remember that treatment, and I won't get graphic on your show, sure. but if, if, if that happened to your child or my child, we would you'd be calling the police the next second, but in our little conditioned minds, mm-hmm. I just thought that's what happened to everybody. That's what right. Larry did. That's what, whatever. Well, um, let me interject for a second here. Um, if you don't want to get graphic, I understand, mm-hmm. but don't, 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 um, refrain from doing so on my account. If you feel that my viewers and listeners need to know specifically the kind of things that happen the the floor is yours. Tell okay. him. Sure, absolutely. So Larry was a doctor of osteopathic medicine. He wasn't the stick out your tongue and let me look at your throat and take your temperature. He was an osteopath, which was very hands-on. It's it's based on sort of a holistic manipulation of the body. The whole the premise is the whole body is intertwined, um, and they're taught different manipulation techniques, which I equate to like going to the chiropractor, right? Mm, okay. So you're laying face down on a treatment table, and he's pushing on this and moving this and doing this. And there came a point where part of his treatment included the ungloved digital penetration of our vaginas and anuses under the guise of, I need to loosen this tendon, which is attached to your hip, which will help your lower back. Um, Mm. And, and, you know, clitoral stimulation, uh, you know, going from point A to point B, just, you know, grazing over that. And so and his medical language was very confusing and convincing. And, and part of me was like, oh, I guess I needed that, you know, right. and, and it wasn't comfortable to have a grown man touching your vagina and your anus. And it, it hurt, <laughs> you know, right. it hurt and it was uncomfortable. But no part of my brain said red flag. I didn't know what sex was. I hadn't had sexual education. I was eight. I was eight. And when it starts when you're eight, four or five times a week, every week, every year, by the Mm -hmm. time you're 14 and 13 and you get sex education in public school, which is basically how to put in a tampon and, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're going to start your period, um, it's already too far gone. This is normal for me. I don't say everybody was getting it. It was part of a much bigger sort of full body situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, we thought he was helping. I genuinely would have said he has my best interest at heart. And this will Mm -hmm. blow your mind and your listeners' minds. I'm 25 years old. I'm an Ivy League graduate. I went to Columbia University. I'm in law school. I'm a high hyper achiever. Um, For all intents and purposes, I look great from the outside in. Internally, I was a wreck. Every time I go back to East Lansing, Michigan to visit with my family, I call my good friend, the doctor, and I say, hey, let's go to lunch, Larry. Let's catch up. I'll, you know, I'll tell you about what I'm doing. Tell me about what you're up to going to all these Olympics. You're so fancy now. We go out to lunch. Let's go back to Michigan State University Sports Medicine, Sarah. Let me work on your ribs. Let me work on your lower back. Let me help. Wow. Let me help you. And he gives me a (sighs) pair of loose shorts. And in my little brain, I put them on and the same thing happens all over again. And I walk away literally believing that he was helping me. And so if it can happen to me and I share that story not to be, you know, embarrassed and not to embarrass myself, I share it because I truly believe that people can look at me and say, if it can happen to her, it can happen to anybody. 
Yes. Uh, when your brain is molded, when you're a little human, before your brain is fully formed, and that's all that you know, it is very hard to gain perspective until you are out of it. And at that age, I wasn't out of it. I was home four or five times a year. I was home for the summer. I had not exited the world, the, the universe of gymnastics and competitive sport and Michigan State and Nassar and Team USA. Um, it took... You know, then my parents moved away. I never went back. That's the only reason I never saw him up until my 30s. Um, mm -hmm. I had teammates who were going to him pregnant for OBGYN care, um, helping with their back and their sciatica, and he was still doing the same thing. It took another person's courage for me to be where I am. Um, and I want to stress for survivors, if you don't have that other person talking about your perpetrator and giving you um, that platform to come forward, um, that's a scary thing. But we have formed sort of this community um, to mm -hmm. try to make it as safe and comfortable for other people who are not um, sort of automatically a part of this of this team of women. Did you ever get an opportunity to address him directly? And if so, oh, yeah. what did you what did you say to him? Oh, yes. I had a, a very long and well, uh, well thought out victim impact statement that I addressed on day one um, of sentencing at the end of the day. And um, I was standing four feet away and I told him that he took something from us that he will that we will never, ever get back our innocence, our virginities, in a sense, right? Um, and our chance at uh, a normal childhood, a normal adulthood. Um, and, and that, you know, I told him we grew up together. You know, I said, Larry, I know you from so far back. We were armed with nothing but dreams. Our coach, John Gatter, dreamed of going to the Olympics. Larry dreamed of becoming a doctor at that time, uh, much less the head of sports medicine in a four-time Olympic team doctor. And I dreamed of, of becoming a doctor one day too, because he was a yeah. doctor and I wanted to be just like him. Um, he cried, he shook his head. He, you know, and, and his lawyer came up to me after and said, you know, that was the worst thing he could hear. It was so hard on him. And I'm going, Oh yeah, like I care, you know, but the girl, he, she said he does, he stopped even knowing who these girls were. Like he doesn't even know who these people are that are coming up to the mm -hmm. microphone to address him. Mm -hmm. It was the girls at the beginning um, that he that he knew and loved and remembered, and that's so hard for him. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I got to say everything. I knew it was my last chance. I felt very at peace about it, um, and I've let it go. I forgive. Yes. You know, I, I forgive not for him, but for me and for what I carry forward in my life. Um, rhetorical question, maybe forty years to one hundred and seventy-five years. Uh, did that did that suffice for you? Is, is that about right? Did he deserve the rest of his natural life in prison for all intended purposes? Are you good with that? I'm totally good with that. Absolutely. He'll never get out. He also had 60 years on his federal child porn charges, so he'll never get out. I'm good as long as he never harms another child and mm. never has access to another mm. child the rest of my life. Um, I'm good with that. Mm. But You're on... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Continue. Go ahead. Back to, back to the, the sense that people don't report until they're 52 years old. That's Please. really important to note. Um, some kids do are capable of, re of reporting when this happens. Some are in their 20s or 30s when, when you know, the body keeps the score. So it's one thing to say we don't recognize it. 
we don't recognize it consciously, but something in us, and I believe this about all survivors, nobody's like blindsided by this. When you, when you, it's more of when you let yourself digest what happened to you. People stuff it down with drugs, with alcohol, with eating disorders, with hypersexuality, with turning to becoming a clergy member, zero sexuality. I mean, people try everything to stuff pain down and to compartmentalize Mm it. So so people don't, the average age of reporting is 52 years old. That's statistically proven. But Mm -hmm. why is that? Um, It's it's not necessarily that they don't know. It's Mm -hmm. Either know and don't want to talk about it and want to keep trying putting on band aids for the rest of their lives until they figure out it doesn't work, which is often mm-hmm. like middle age, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or they consciously haven't gone there, but then life catches up to them and the body catches up to them um, and they have to go there if they have any semblance of living. But often survivors will die with this in their 50s. Mm. Or 60s. Go ahead. Would you have adults like you just pointed out. They don't know until they become adults and they separate themselves from a situation to really realize what's been transpiring. But are there traits that we should notice as adults in children that would provide some kind of indication that they're going through something like this, even if they don't know it? We should know it. Is there something that we should look for, something that we should see to make sure our daughters, our nieces, you know, whoever they may be, our children are not subjected to this kind of heinous nonsense? Yeah, absolutely. And and I will say this does not discriminate b- between genders. It is our sons, too, okay, unfortunately. Um, yeah, any kind of behavioral change whatsoever should be taken very seriously. Uh, a bedwetter who was not previously a bedwetter, anxiety to go to school or to play baseball or to go to gymnastics, um, you know, that, that wasn't there before. Um, any adult that is paying more attention to your child. I'm not name dropping, but I'm really proud of this. Oprah Winfrey said to me, um, you know, when an adult is paying more attention to your child than you are, that is a big red flag. When Larry Nassar is going, I got to keep Sarah extra because I got to help her with her back. You know, my parents are going, oh, okay, she'll be at the gym for seven hours today instead of two. You know, when an adult is paying special attention, keeping your child after school because they're the best child, keeping them, offering them, I see this all the time, offering private um, coaching or private tutorials for a child to help them get to the next level because they're so much more advanced than other kids. When adults are paying special attention to your child, that's a big one. Here's another big one. I think this is a big public service announcement that is a real life example. Please. Um, There was a young girl, elementary, going to school, telling her teacher, my daddy is eating my cookie. And the teacher said... Oh, you know, oh, you know, whatever. Let it go. Let it go. The girl kept saying it. We are too shy to teach our children anatomically correct terms for penises and vaginas and breasts. And so this girl was taught that her vagina was called a cookie. And she was attempting to disclose to her teacher over and over, my daddy is eating my cookie. And the teacher blew it off. And what that does to the child's psyche, she doesn't know it's not called a cookie. And so 
she's saying, nobody believes me. Nobody believes me. So her, you know, in her mind, she's going, well, I guess it must be normal or maybe I'm wrong or something. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, in that case, the school Mm -hmm. finally did put it together because this little firecracker wasn't letting it go. And the dad was arrested and charged and and thrown in prison um, and, and won't be out for a very, very long time. But we as parents or as caregivers or mm. anybody who loves a child has yes. a responsibility to be teaching about our our vagina like it's our elbow it's a mm. part of our body and we don't need to make up silly names for it because it no makes good. closure that much harder podcast bar fights um taking on issues that matter that is your podcast. It tackles the truth about sexual abuse and candid conversations with survivors and high profile change makers. That could be self-explanatory, but I'm talking to Sarah Klein here. I'm quite sure you can elaborate a hell of a lot better than I just did. Talk to us about bar fights. Absolutely. So I want I wanted to have a platform where we can have these conversations that were once taboo, where once there was a stigma, where once, you know, uh, people weren't talking about these things. And I want to shout from the rooftops in in the in the sense that this stuff should not be embarrassing to talk about. It should not be taboo. Sex abuse is happening everywhere. It does not discriminate. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care where your kids go to school. I don't care where you live. I don't care where you come from, where your parents came from. It is literally happening in every community. And so I, what I want to do is have these uncomfortable conversations, hear from people who have been through it, who have come out, um, you know, in a way that they're able to now talk about it, articulate things to make it feel, make people feel less alone, to educate. Um, and we don't just talk about sex abuse. You know, I had Katherine Schwarzenegger Pratt um, on my show, and and she was talking about the concept of forgiveness. She wrote a a New York Times bestseller called The Gift of Forgiveness, where she profiled my story, but also the stories of people who have been through all sorts of adversities in their lives. How do we forgive others? So it's it's a wide ranging conversation over there on bar fights, um, but it's it's we're talking about the real stuff. We're rolling up our sleeves and getting into into the gritty stuff in order to to make people feel less alone um, and to and to really have the difficult conversations that will hopefully continue to move this conversation forward. I'm, I'm sitting here talking to a recipient of the 2018 ESPY Award. You accepted the Arthur Ashe Courage Award on behalf of yourself and hundreds of other survivors who spoke out and testified against Larry Nassar's abuse. I'm talking to the wonderful Sarah Klein, the great work that you're doing, that you continue to do. How can everybody, how can anybody find you who needs you, who needs to talk to you, who needs your advice, your counsel, your legal representation? How can they find you. Well, it would be an honor to be reached out, you know, reached out to by anybody um, going through this stuff. And I am so proud to be a fierce lawyer on behalf of my clients. The name of my law firm is Manly, M-A-N-L-Y, Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T dot com. Um, we've represented, you know, many Olympians, many sports figures, many high profile cases, but also just the average child who was abused by their teacher in the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Sarah S A R A H G Klein K L E I N. 
Sarah, I, I can't even put into words how wonderful it was to have this conversation with you. I've learned so much. I really, really want to thank you taking time out of your busy schedule to join me. And this is very edifying, to say the least. There's so much that most of us, I think I speak on behalf of many people when I say there's so much that none of us ever knew. Uh, but obviously, we don't have that excuse anymore after listening to a conversation like this. Thank you so much. I am so thrilled to be here with you, and I thank you in return for giving this issue such a platform. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I'm always here. Feel free to reach out anytime. There's always a home for you. Anytime oh, you want. thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you, you take so care. Talk All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline Until I flatline, I push it to the red line Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? I'm glad she gave me the name of that law firm, Manly Stewart and Finaldi, representing sexual abuse survivors. Thank goodness I, had, I haven't had to deal with such a thing as it pertains to my daughters because, ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you right now, I'd be in jail. Make no mistake about that, I'd be in jail. You do something like that to my child, I'm coming for you. By any means necessary. It's just the way it's it's just the way it's going to be. And I think I speak on behalf of most parents, most parents. And I ain't even bring it to the equation fathers with their daughters and how protective we can be. There's no question about it. I want to thank Sarah Klein again for bringing attention to this very, very pertinent issue. Um, although that specific case may have been an anomaly. The reality of the situation is that sexual abuse, child abuse is a very pertinent issue in our society. And even though abuse of all kinds should be eradicated to the best of our ability, I don't think I'm beyond the pale by saying special attention and special protection should be accorded to children. Because when you're a child, you don't know any better. When you're a child, the odds are stacked against you when people are not listening. You're pretty helpless. And as adults, what greater responsibility can we have on our shoulders than to be protective of our children? And I don't mean our children as in, oh, your child that you helped conceive. I'm talking about children universally being protected by us universally. If you're walking down the street and you saw somebody abusing a child, what would you do? You wouldn't stand idly by and do nothing. Most of us in our society would not do such a thing. Because we understand how helpless children are. And that's why I told Sarah, feel free. Don't let me stop you. I didn't want to be too invasive because I didn't know what kind of memories it would provoke. But the minute she opened the door and said that, you know what? I don't I might not give your audience these details. I was like, oh, no, no, no. That's your choice. But if you want to let them know specifically what kind of stuff happens? Feel free to let them know. And I got to tell you something right now. There isn't a parent out there. There isn't an individual out there who doesn't love children, who didn't hear how riveting her testimony was as she was sitting here on No Mercy talking to me about this. So I want to thank her. I want to thank all the Sarah Kleins out there who are fighting on behalf of children. 
to get the disgusting perverts thrown behind bars for the rest of their natural lives or something close to it like she did with Larry Nassar. And this coach, John Gettert, what she described him as being, no wonder he killed himself. He couldn't take it. But I believe there's a Lord somewhere. And if there's a Lord somewhere, there's the devil. And there's hell. And there's, and there's a special place for him too. And what he enabled. Forgiveness and all of that stuff is appropriate in some people's eyes. But that don't mean you don't deserve to pay the price that you deserve to pay. Sarah Klein believes that. And so do I. And I'm quite sure after listening to her, so do all of you. Thank goodness she's alive and well and didn't do harm to herself or anything like that because of the emotional turmoil she was forced to endure. What a brave woman. Got to give love, respect, and credit where it's due. The ESPY Awards did so for in 2018 on behalf of herself and the hundreds of other survivors with the Arthur Ashe Courage Award. This is a reminder of specifically why she deserved it so much, as well as the rest of them. I learned a lot from my conversation with her. I hope y'all did as well. That's it for this edition of No Mercy. I'm about to sign off. I've always said you don't have to know sports to know mercy. And if there was ever a time since I started this podcast when No Mercy is an appropriate name for a podcast and it's truly applicable to a subject that's being tackled. That was the case today. Thanks again to Sarah Klein. Really appreciate it. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, peace and love, everybody. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.